Hi everyone, welcome to Thoughts of a Man. So um, this weekend I was uh, scrolling through some social media and a friend shared a very, very nice article. And this article was um, discussing a tweet that was, uh, well, not a tweet, but a, yeah, a tweet and a series of tweets um, tweeted by a person by the name of Dr. Chipo Dendere. And uh, this article, uh, it starts off with the following words. It says, The reason why African people are wallowing in poverty is not a result of sanctions or laziness. The real, re- the real cause of Africans' misery is the African politicians... Sorry, let me read that again. <coughs> the real cause of Africans' misery is that African politicians are greedy selfish lazy and small-minded all right and um that's just the article and then if you read the tweets the tweets it's about um one two three four five five tweets i'll share the the link to the tweets if you want to read them i'll just read them out to you but if you want to like it retweet it and so forth you are welcome to do so because i think stuff like this needs to be heard so it reads the series of tweets One of our mothers visiting the U.S. from Zimbabwe said, I have been so angry since I came here. When the leaders travel abroad, they live so well. How come they don't want to copy and do the same at home? Do they not care? Don't they want us to have the simple things like power too? Oh, mama, they don't care. When they travel abroad, they love to talk They love to talk the dangers of neocolonialism and they fight for sovereignty as they shop in the most expensive stores, enjoy luxury hotels and spend ill-gotten wealth. They get health care and education for their kids. They just don't care. (coughs) Most African leaders are the most selfish people on the face of the earth. They steal so much. Their kids are in fancy schools. They drive nice cars. They eat well. They sleep well. They simply don't care. Anyone working with elites is eating well. Don't let them say otherwise. There is corruption everywhere. The difference is that when African leaders steal, they take it all and leave the average person bankrupt. When politicians steal in the US, it doesn't affect my ability to get paid or access to a hospital, at least not directly or in the same ways. And the last tweet read, African countries are blessed with the best natural resources, rich soils, beautiful landscapes, glorious weather in the most places. We are not poor because of sanctions or laziness. We are poor because our leaders are greedy, selfish and lazy and small-minded. And then she puts in brackets, some NGOs suck. All right, so that's just her thoughts on this issue. All right, obviously I would, um, you know, uh, I mean, if I had to meet her, I'd actually ask her for some evidence for some of the claims that she made here. But her last tweet where she said African countries are blessed with the best natural resources and so forth is true. And the, the continent is poor because of exploitation, not by, le- not by neocolonialism, but by current African leaders who accepted socialism. So now a similar country is Venezuela. Venezuela has the largest oil reserves, but yet they're so poor. Why? Corruption. And most importantly, socialism. 
So another person who would um, agree with the statement that socialism ruined Africa is um, a Ghanaian economist by the name of George Aite. And um, he did a speech, or he delivered a speech rather, at the Heritage Foundation this year in March. And um, I'm just looking at the article that was written by... Um, by uh what's these guys names by african liberty and african liberty um they have the whole transcript there so you can read it and they also have the the actual um video as well so you can watch so i'm going to share the link to the video as well so if you're watching this on youtube the link will be there if you're on soundcloud you also find it there um, if you're listening on um, Iono FM, you'll also find it there as well. Um, and I think in all other platforms, you'll be able to find it as, um, if you go into this uh, podcast and listen to it. <coughs> Just check the description boxes and I think you'll be fine. Now, check this out. So, all right. So, um, according to the Heritage Foundation, uh, they have a little, um, a little um, quote. And the quote reads, equating capitalism with colonialism. Africa's nationalist leaders rejected it and adopted socialism in the 1960s. And this is really when all the trouble started. So if you look at the article written by African Liberty, you know, these guys, are, yeah, the, the transcript is very long. I'm not going to read the whole speech. I think it's better that you guys read it, but I'm just going to read certain excerpts from it. I think I've read some of them before, but for a different context. But if you listen to this again, and you're listening to this with your friend, don't be like, oh, I like this part. This part, this part will be the best part. Don't ruin it for them. Okay, don't be that guy who um, ruins the movie just because you watched it before your friends, okay? <coughs> All right. So, um, so basically, um, the, if, if you look at Ghana, for example, um, there was a socialist transformation. So according to, to Aite, he stated that under Nkrumah, Socialism as a domestic policy in his seven-year development plan was to be pursued toward a complete ownership of the economy by the state. A bewildering array of legislative controls and regulations were imposed on imports, capital transfers, industry, minimum wages, the rights and the powers of trade unions, prices, rents, and the interest rates. Some of the controls were introduced by the colonialists, but they were retained... <coughs> And expanded by Nkrumah. By 1970, nearly 6,000 prices relating to more than 700 product groups were controlled in Ghana. And that's according to the World Bank. And private businesses were taken over by the Nkrumah government and nationalized. Numerous state enterprises were established. So that's what happened in Ghana in a nutshell. And then if you want to know the results, the results were catastrophic. So, now remember, many of these African leaders were saying free at last, free at last. And as a result, they actually decided to take on socialism. Not take it on, but rather embrace it. And it led to massive problems. All right. So, if you, another passage in the, in the article reads, Problems emerged soon after in independence. State controls created artificial shortages and black market state-owned enterprises could not deliver. Hmm. We have the same problem in South Africa. 
achieving very low rates of capacity utilization. Hmm. ESCOM, that reminds me of ESCOM, building these power stations that are not even working. Most of them were inefficiently run and unprofitable. Hmm. State-owned companies. At the time of the coup in Ghana in 1966, which overthrew Nkrumah, only three or four of the 64 state enterprises were paying... <coughs> My apologies, guys. Um, yeah, I've still got the cough, but let me just read that again. They said, um, at the time of the coup in Ghana in 1966, which overthrew Nkrumah, only three or four of the 64 state enterprises were paying their way. Consider the performance of these enterprises taken over by the states. So he gives a list of them. In 1972, the government took over the African Timber and Plywood Company. Before the takeover, production was at 75% of installed capacity, but this has fallen to a woeful 13%. In 76, the government of Ghana took over RT Briscoe, a foreign company. Before the takeover, the company was producing 241 buses in 1974. After the takeover, production was 12 buses in 1977 and only six buses in 1978. All right. In 1982, the Kenyan government estimated the annual average rate of return um, on the $1.4 billion invested in state-owned entities since independence in 1963 to be 0.2%. So basically what they were saying was that, look, you know, out of that money that was invested, they only made a return of 0.2%. And the article continues stating, a return greatly less than what could have been obtained by depositing the sum in an interest-bearing account. So basically, that money was better off in, a, in an account, you know, where someone was earning interest. I mean, they'll give you like interest like of 5% in some plans. All right. Then, uh, okay, so then there's Zimbabwe. Yeah, Zimbabwe. So according to George Aite, he writes or he stated that Zimbabwe was the breadbasket of the region, but state control, state regulations and forcible seizures of white commercial farmlands without compensation destroyed agriculture and turned the country into a net food importer. The economy declined progressively. Corn production dropped sharply from 2 million tons in 1981 to 620,000 in 1983. Shortages of commodities and foreign exchange were rampant. The cost of living rose astronomically. By 2008, things had gotten progressively worse. Inflation was raging at 2 million percent and unemployment was at 80 percent. In 2009, the currency collapsed and the US dollar was adopted. About 4 million fled to the neighboring countries. In October 2017, Mugabe was driven out of office and was succeeded by Emerson Manangagwa, his former security chief. I hope I pronounced that correctly, guys. <coughs> uh, Emerson Nangagwa. I hope I pronounced his name correctly. If I haven't, I apologize. All right. So basically, you know, what George Aichi's argument was that, look, if you, when, after colonialism, right there was uh, in the 1960s what happened was these african countries got independence and a lot of these people um leaders uh decided to adopt socialism because they said socialism is in africa's blood and it's a, and it's in line with african tradition now uh, many will disagree i disagree with that i disagree with that completely um i don't think that socialism is in line 
with African tradition at all. Especially um, when you consider cases that I've been exposed to. All right. But obviously that's anecdotal, but I don't think it's consistent. And that may sound controversial, but um, I do believe that um, free markets will enable uh, uh, African countries to grow. And you can already see how that's working in uh, Mauritius as well. And also in... Uh, um, uh, see, this country just slipped off my head right now. I, I just had it in my brain and it escaped out of one ear. Uh, yes, Rwanda. That's the country. So basically what socialism is, guys, it's when the state runs and owns the music production. Um, George Aiti, when he, will, when he defines it, he, will, he calls it state interference in the economy. So, um, for example, like when I read the earlier passage, um, he mentioned the, that they put minimum wages into the market. So he will see that as a sign of socialism because it's the state interfering in the economy, telling um, uh, business owners to pay a certain amount. Now, some people can be technical and say, no, that's fine. But, I mean, the core of socialism is uh, the state running and owning the economy. And when that happens, when the state runs and owns the means of production, you'll get these artificial shortages. Um, as a result, you're going to get pay higher taxes to bail these companies out <coughs> and so forth. And we saw that happen in Venezuela. Venezuela is a perfect example of that when you allow the government to run the means of production. So it's important to realize that socialism destroyed Africa. Colonialism did play its part. But remember, we're in a post-colonial time. And in the early days of post-colonialism, there was a lot of socialism being practiced. And it made those countries even worse. And a lot of people tend to blame the legacy of colonialism to try and make it seem like as if um, colonialism is responsible for what we see today. But it's very difficult to actually state that, uh, given the fact that there was also socialism practiced in Africa, which also contributed to the failures of many countries within Africa. So the reasons why they failed, George Aiti um, um, lists some examples, but you can read them in detail, but I'll give you the, the, the titles. There's Exploitation, and oppression. The second one was administrative ineptitude. The third one was um, venal ten tendencies slash corruption. And the corruption part is what I want to focus on because if you cheap on Dendere's tweet spoke about corruption, how these leaders become so very wealthy, and then when they go overseas, you know they, they you know not even oh yeah they go overseas they they shop and you know they go to France and they go to all these malls and buy expensive clothing and everything like that while the rest of the country is poor. And then they change the economies in such a way that all the funds are directed to the state, which again, in my opinion, is not good. So um, there was one, there's one thing that um, George Aiti mentioned about African leaders. And uh, it's very interesting um, what he stated. But before I go there, um, this, there's a paragraph where he states the following. State controls, state controls created artificial shortages, providing rich opportunities for rent-seeking activities and illicit enrichment. Import and exchange controls were the most lucrative. Ministers demanded 10% commission 
before using an, an import license. Everyone was chasing a scarce, well, sorry, everyone was chasing scarce commodities to buy at a government controlled prices and resell on the black market to make a profit, a process known in Ghana as Kalabule. So that's just part of the, the corruption that occurred. And um, you can read more about that on the, on the article itself, which I'll share. I don't want to ruin it for you. But there's one thing that he, or another thing that he mentioned, which I like a lot. He stated this. So if you want to understand why America is rich and Africa is poor, ask yourself this question. How do the rich in both places make their wealth? Here in, here in America, and obviously by saying here in America, he's talking about the fact that he's delivering this in America. The richest person is Jeff Bezos at Amazon.com. He created it and has something to show for it. In fact, 80% of US billionaires are problem solvers. Now let's go to Africa. Who are the richest? The richest in Africa are heads of state, are heads of state and ministers. Quite often, the chief bandit is the head of the state himself. How do they make their money? By raking it off the backs of their suffering people. What did they create? Nothing. In fact, none of Africa's billionaire presidents made their wealth in the private sector. So how do they teach the youth about wealth creation? <clears throat> Crazy. Crazy. And I don't know if this applies to, Cyril, uh, to President Cyril Ramaphosa. Um, did he make his money through the private sector? Interesting question. All right. So he, he gives a list of all the billionaire presidents in Africa. First one, Mabutu Sese Seko. He looted one, one to, five, to five billion. Charles Taylor had a wealth of five billion. The late General Sonny Abaka, or Abacha, um, he had a, a wealth of five billion. Omar al-Bashir from Sudan, he accumulated a wealth of nine billion. Um, General Ibrahim Babangida, sorry. General Ibrahim Babangida, he accumulated a wealth of 12 billion. Ben Ali, 13 billion. Hosni Mubarak, 40 billion. Uh, Muammar Gaddafi, 200 billion. And, um, and he also provides a quote by, the, by a General I.B. Babangida. And the quote states Every military regime is a fraud. Anyone who heads a military regime subverts the wishes of the people, said General Ibi Babangida, former head of state of Nigeria. And then the article states afterwards that he should know because he stole 12 billion US dollars. Um, and it's crazy. The Atlantic Monthly provided an analysis of the net worth of all 43 US presidents from Washington to Obama. Okay, so obviously they didn't... Wait, all oh, 43. The 43. Is it, Donald Trump is 45. Then, okay, maybe they made a mistake here. Maybe it's a mistake. Maybe I, I got my history wrong. But anyway, so what they found was that the combined net worth was $2.7 billion in 2010 dollars. Evidently, Abaka, Babangida, Bashir, Hupet, Bongni, and Mobutu each stole more than the net worth of all the U.S. presidents combined. My goodness. That is looting to the highest degree. It's looting to the highest degree. 
And this is one of the reasons why, um, why I think that people should just be cognizant of Africa. Because a lot of people like to um, uh, blame colonialism. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> For the ills of Africa. Meanwhile, it's the actions of African leaders. And I see even at the same time, there seems to be this idea that African leaders are immune to criticism. Because whenever these, whenever these African leaders steal, uh, from my experience, what they will always say afterwards is they'll say, oh no, um, I'm, just doing, I'm just trying to help people out or I'm trying to fight corruption and all of that type of thing. Okay, and there's one last thing I want to just let you know with regards to these African leaders looting. If you look at Isabel dos Santos, the daughter of former president Eduardo dos Santos, ruled for 38 years, is the richest woman in Africa with a net worth of 2.2 billion. Now, I know it's Women's Month and everything like that. So, ladies, this is not an indictment on women and stuff like that. But, you know, it's quite odd that, you know, that pattern is being followed that, you know, you become a president, you loot, and then you get um, a lot of money. And then that money gets inherited and then transferred to the next generation. As you can see, even with Hugo Chavez, the same thing occurred. All right, guys. So I think this, this brings you to the end of my podcast. It's 20 minutes, much longer than what I anticipated. But I think um, I had to really go through this and talk about um, the, the challenges that Africa has faced. And yeah, you know, guys, if you like what I'm doing and you'd like to support me, um, I really appreciate it. You can go to manpatriot.com forward slash donate. If not, if money is an issue, you know what to do. You just share this podcast with your friends and family and press and push the word out there as well. All right. Remember, stay away from wokeness and I'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.